Hey everybody, it's Dave here, Darren over there. We are your two old bloggers. Two decades apiece, almost, or close to it, or more, commenting on your Minnesota Vikings as we sit here today looking at certain things. First off, we're answering some viewer questions. I put a video out on, I think, Thursday asking for questions. We got quite a few, and there are some really, really good ones in there. Secondly, we're going to ask, is uh, Garrett Bradbury a bust, or is he the answer at center? Thirdly, we get into breakout players, and we're into another part of this series designed by Darren himself as to look who might break out and become a very productive member of your Minnesota Vikings. Climb in the pocket, Baby Norseman and Lake Monster Brewing presents Two Old Bloggers. Hey, Darren. How are you doing? I'm doing good, David. Yourself? I'm doing real good. Enjoying this weather. We're about to have a cold front move through, and we're going to cool down into the upper 70s. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Ah, how terrible. I know. <laughs> that's, actually, that's actually very nice and comfy for you. Yes, well, I fully intended to be. Uh, today is a good day. There are tons of things going on. The Vikings completed their first full OTAs where they had veterans involved. And we might talk a little bit about that. But first, we're going to viewers' questions. A new feature on Two Old Bloggers. Yes. Decided to get the audience to participate. Uh-huh. And there's the slide, viewers' questions. Our first one today, we're going to start out with one we got on um, Twitter from David Ward. David asks, where did you get the art in your background? And as you can see, everybody that watches, it's on the set. When I did the video before... Um, it was looking at the Thielen and Diggs painting or print. I do where, where they come from, David, is I do them myself. I'm a digital artist, have been, I've been an artist since I was a kid. I enjoy it both old school drawing and painting and new school via digital. And those are two of my pieces. They're two feet by four feet. And I have a ton more. You can see a print over my shoulder right here of Dalvin Cook. There are many more. The stuff you see in the roll-in and on our other shows are all mine. And to answer your question, yes, all you got to do is just DM me and I'll quote you a price or you can commission whatever you want. So we shall see. And they are awesome Vikings art that you do, Dave. It makes our all the all the visuals and stuff, and on the background, it just makes uh, they all look so damn good. And uh, yeah, I just uh, I just love them all. Well, I appreciate it. Um, Purple haze. No, I'm not left-handed. I'm right-handed. Most artists, believe it or not, are left-handed. Um, I'm right-handed. Mine are more analytical. It comes from uh, engineering, a design background, architectural background that I used to partake in. That's where that comes from. Our next question comes from the lovely and brilliant and wonderful Mary Fisk. Could you discuss Dalvin Cook's role in this offense and how you're feeling about it? Um, well, I'm excited to see what the, the Cooker's going to do in a new offense. And I'm actually um, looking forward to kind of a less is more uh, philosophy with with Dalvin Cook because I'm I'm concerned as I think a lot of Vikings fans are about his workload, uh, even though he's been injured a fair bit. But uh, I, I want to see the Vikings offense this year. We've been very dependent on him and since he's been <clears throat> pretty much other than you know his rookie year where he got injured pretty early in the season. We've been very dependent on him uh, offensively, and I uh, I 
I really feel that we know he gets injured a lot. I feel that uh, less is more. He'll be more effective with want to see less touches, spread the ball out a bit more to all of our weapons, not be so Dalvin Cook focused uh, with, as we and the offense leaning on him to drive the offensive engine as we've kind of seen with under Zimmer. And I feel that that'll make him fresher later in the season and it'll help him with getting maybe a little bit less nicked up and not missing as many games. Uh, and uh, also looking to see if they, uh, uh, if the Rams uh, try to get him out wide a bit more um, and on the perimeter and maybe Kevin O'Connell. Yeah. Or yeah, sorry. Yeah. The Rams, but to see Kevin O'Connell and the new, and the Vikings offense, if they get him out wide a bit more, get him matched up in um, against the linebackers um, in coverage on, on passing routes, but really, yeah, um, uh, it's not like the the Rams don't run the ball, David. <laughs> when their offense is is cooking in the past, you know they they run very effectively. As most offenses uh, work, you know better when they've got both things going. So they're going to run the ball. But I just feel I'd like to see. Uh, I don't want to see Dalvin Cook getting three hundred touches this year. Well, I agree. I wouldn't mind if a bunch of those are pass receptions. And that's a different category than just touches. Yeah. But the whole idea of putting him out at receiver is to create mismatches. Kevin O'Connell's offense is going to be all about creating mismatches so that um, it gets the defense thinking, and who do I cover? Who do I do this? Who do I do that? And it springs guys open that Kirk Cousins can take advantage of and throw the ball to, and we score 40 points a game. And all is good. That's the reason why they're doing it. It's a good idea. He's good at ca- catching the pass. And he's obviously great in the open field when it comes to running. Indeed. Our next question comes, which is related. Stephen Power, who joined us this morning from Down Under, asks, do you think we'll see more three or four wide receiver sets this year with Cook being a deep being a deep threat on those packages? I think McVay runs that style of offense in LA. O'Connell could very well bring some of that high octane offense to the Vikings. Well, a very good question by Stephen, and uh, I think that that uh, I am expecting that. I think with the wide receivers that we have and the, uh, the tight ends and that we don't have, uh, I think that you're going to see you know, the Rams last, last year. Again, uh, the Rams last year ran uh, the 11 personnel, three, three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end, 86% of the time, which is a lot. The Vikings, on the other hand, the past two years were last in the league in 11 personnel that they they, they used. I can't. Now, Kevin O'Connell's been very quick when he's been asked about this to kind of play down the fact that the, the Vikings under him are going to run an 11 personnel a lot of the time. He's talked about, well, we're going to be multiple. Uh, we're we're going to work, you know, use multiple formations, personnel, and try to be the best offense we can and, you know, go with what works with that situation, which all makes sense. Mm-hmm. But hard to believe that with – when you've got Osborne, Jefferson, and Thielen, assuming they're all healthy, uh, and you look at our tight ends, and really it's Irv Smith and nobody else that that, nobody that we're is not going to primary pass catching. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have Conklin, Smith, or so, you know, two guys capable of, of of being a starting number one tight end. Hard to believe that the Vikings won't run a lot more eleven personnel this year than they have in the past, especially when we know. You know, O'Connell, what he ran as an OC the past two years with the Rams. So definitely expect a lot more 11, uh, a lot more of that uh, per 11 personnel and three and four wide receivers in the, out there in formations than we have seen under uh, during the Zimmer years. Mm-hmm. Oh, without a doubt, because we saw a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends. We saw yeah. some heavies with an added tackle, all based on run the football, run the football, run the football. Also keeping some in when they had to protect. So I do expect that to change. You're right. O'Connell wants to generate multiples. It's all about confusing the defense and taking advantage thereof. Our next question is a good one. And it is from Crushing the Losers. (laughs) All right. What a great name. It is uh, 
I remember correctly, his first name's Paul. He says, hey, Dave, I'm using a friend's YouTube to ask questions. Did the Vikings practice clutch situations? My guess is they don't, which is why they choked. I feel if the Vikings practice clutch situations over and over again, they'd be better to handle it. Moments like Seattle versus the Patriots in the Super Bowl or 49ers versus Cowboys in the playoffs. Well, sorry to say, but Zimmer very much practiced final two-minute drills. And the Vikings were decent when they were on offense in the final two minutes. The defense, however, always seemed to give up points. That was obviously the weak point. Now, were there clutch decisions made? That was one of Zimmer's faults. Do I hope that changes now? Absolutely. What do you think, Darren? Yeah, I. all teams practice special situations, Dave, whether it's two-minute offense, two-minute defense, four-minute offense, um, you know, short yardage situations, red zone situations. So, I, I, you know, I, Zimmer talked about it many times, especially when the Vikings were struggling in those areas about how they were going to work on it or they'd have to work on it. So uh, you know, the Vikings definitely – practice those situations all teams do i guess the question is how much did they emphasize those situations right. you've got to do you've got to do a lot of things in practice you got to go over do multiple things you only have so much time uh, but uh, some coaches may feel it's more important to spend extra time on those critical clutch situations special situations than other other coaches might think it's more important to you know focus on the overall defensive pitcher and fundamentals and and technique uh, a little bit more. I have not heard Kevin O'Connell really talk about that those aspects of the game a whole lot in his pressers. He's really been trying to lay down the culture thing and all and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, so it remains to be seen uh, what Kevin O'Connell will emphasize. But mm-hmm. uh, well, when we think about, I think when I think about clutch situations, Dave, I think I tend to. I think I tend to focus on the offensive side of things like, well, you know, is the offense scoring that late game touchdown or getting that late drive to put the game away or tie the game? And, uh, you know, face it, uh, our quarterback uh, is Kirk Cousins, who has not been known as Mr. Clutch. Uh, uh, but uh, so, you know, the, there, there's an issue there maybe, although last Rare, year right? I wasn't yeah, I, there was. A, there was, I will admit. I will admit. Last year, that he did pretty Improved. well in those situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can't knock him for last year. Uh, but and the playoffs really, before against. Uh, yep, the against Saints. the Saints. Yep. Yeah. Now he so, improved. He improved on that, and hopefully, he improves more. Dan, can you hear me better now? I cranked up the my gain a I little can hear bit you on, fine. on the on uh, the mic. I'm asking what's coming through on YouTube. It's hopefully crushing it, um, crushing the losers. That is the case that we are doing that. Um, Next question comes from Jeffrey. Kenny, what do you think of the O-line depth and who from last year will have the biggest impact this season? Uh, I'm... I mean, I'm wondering if Jeffrey, maybe he can answer it because I think he's watching. But uh, I guess with his, the second part of his question, I'm wondering if he means from the old line or the <laughs> from last year, or just or just uh, or just the overall draft class. And uh, O line wise, I think uh, I'm enthused with, uh, or I, I think we've got some good depth on the guard side of things because you got the two Davises. Uh, they signed Chris Reed, and uh, you, you you drafted Ingram. On that end of things, I'm uh, not as juiced about the depth we have or lack of it at center. Uh, we basically got Garrett Bradbury, I guess. Uh, and we'll get into Garrett that Bradbury in there, mm-hmm. and, and we and we and we just signed a Sokol, who's an uh, undrafted rookie free agent. Uh, so I think that's pretty weak. And at tackle, uh, outside of O'Neill and Darisaw, I have. Really, I'm like, who's next, right? Like, if one of those guys goes down, heaven, heaven forbid, uh, is like, is Break Brandle and Uliodo are those the backup tackles? Are they we, the we swing tackles have, now? Yes. Yeah, we don't have, we don't have the obvious swing tackle like we did last year with Rashad Hill. So I think that there's big questions at, at depth for us at 
tackle and at center, but at guard, I think we're m- much better than we were last year. Yeah, and you take the Davises and Reed, and you throw that in. But of the last year's draft class, um, who had the biggest impact? We have his picture up there. That's Darisol. He did last year. I don't expect that to dwindle. I don't think any of your third rounders, now Jeffrey. If you wanted to know about third rounders, that's a different subject. But overall, it's Darisol. He's already starting and he's already doing an outstanding job. And he has to have a, a big impact this year and a big positive impact, I think, for the Vikings uh, offensive line to take that next mm-hmm. step up to go from mediocre to good or very good. Uh, you know, a couple other guys to keep in mind, I think Cameron Bynum, even though it doesn't look like he's going to be, at least we're expecting that Lewis Seen will be the starter opposite of Harris Smith, not Bynum. But I think Bynum's going to have a large role in the defense rotating in there, even if he is a reserve. I think he's going to have an impact. Kenny Wangwu is going to have an impact on kickoff returns of nothing else. Uh, and I think it's going to be a big impact, whether teams are trying to kick the ball away from him because and giving us field position because they don't want him to touch the ball or if they decide to kick it to him and he takes it to the house. The other thing, uh, the other guy to maybe watch out for is um, Chaz Surratt. Uh, I, you know, wasted rookie year last year, but depending on who is playing, who are the four linebackers this year, I think, I know they drafted Brian Asamoa. Uh, I think Blake, if, if, Hunter is um, a five technique end, or instead of a, a rushing linebacker, but I'm expecting him to be standing up as a linebacker. He's going to be but, a rushing linebacker. Yeah, but the Surratt has an opportunity to squeak in there somehow, or one of those guys do. Asamoa, perhaps Surratt. Surratt and Asamoa are very similar players. I think, kind of undersized linebackers, highly productive in college, fast. good at mm-hmm. fast. Um, so maybe that one year he's learned a lot and, and is ready to make an impact. But, but I think that that's kind of a wild card there, Surratt. And, and we'll find out. Hopefully we don't have to rely on them because right now yep. we have Kendricks and uh, the new guy we signed. And yeah, Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks that are going to be the starting two in the middle. Yes. Obviously Harrison Smith and Daniel Hunter on the outside. So <clears throat> Tyson – uh, I think we are better this year than we are last, but we have yet to find out. So we shall see, as I always say. Yes. All right. Next question. Noble War Prize, which is a wonderful <laughs> also name for an individual. Why do you? Why is no one talking about the secondary and its depth? Will Andrew Booth be ready to play? Is he a starter week one? We have talked about secondary depth uh, ourselves, Dave. We talked about it last week when we when we were talking about um, Cameron Dantzler being a breakout player, and we've talked about depth at other times. Uh, but I agree with uh, no. I think Nobel War Prize is referencing the depth, or maybe the he's concerned about the depth. And I think that there's reasons to be concerned about it. Yes. The Vikings made some, uh, you know, improved the depth. They made some signings in the, in free agency. They dra- drafted two cornerbacks, one of them up there and booth, uh, in the draft about a month ago. But, um, you could be, you're right to be concerned if you're a Viking about, okay, if your top three corners right now are looking like Patrick Peterson, Cameron Dantzler, and poss- probably Chan and Sullivan, as your nickel, nickel. Uh, um, um, you know, I have some worries about that, particularly with about Peterson and Sullivan. Uh, so I, yeah, we don't know what Evans, the fourth rounder, what kind of impact he's going to have. Um, and Booth um, drafted, you know, highly regarded, just kind of slipped in the draft because of injury concerns. But as a rookie, is he ready to really uh, make an impact? Uh, yes, Drew, that's indeed it is. So I, there's lots of questions there. Will Andrew Booth be ready uh, to play? I think he will be. He was talking a bit about it at OTAs. They've got a, a rehab plan for him. They're taking it reasonable, slow. I don't see any issues with him. He'll be ready in training camp and ready to go. Uh, is he a starter week one? I think that there's an opportunity for him, but it's going to be up to him. I don't think that the Vikings are going to um, – I don't think the Vikings – you know, Patrick Peterson, I think, is a guy that really is ripe to be replaced if somebody could, could, you know, could show that they're outplay. a much better option, mm-hmm. outplay him. But, you know, he's got, even though we got a new regime and they're analytics driven and new head coach, 
do you really think that a guy that they're going to, if Booth, unless Booth like clearly outplays Peterson and like Peterson looks like total garbage, do you really think that they're going to bench Peterson in like the, the first couple of weeks and put Booth in? I, I just don't see it. Uh, I think uh, just with his reputation, who Patrick Peterson is, his veteran presence, I just don't see Multiple that. Multiple Pro Bowls. Yeah, yeah. So he'd really have to crap out in the play and show himself to be a huge liability in the first few games to get replaced. Now, Booth, maybe Dantzler's the guy, although I don't see it, but maybe Dantzler's the guy who doesn't look great in training camp and Booth looks great and they switch those two out. That's where I could see something happening with Booth. But I think Booth is going to be a, uh, um, he's going to be used, but it'd be in a reserve role at least at the beginning. Or, yeah, a reserve and then more of a rotation, keep yeah. the corners fresh. That is one thing I thought Zimmer did well that mm-hmm. he started a corner rotation, which other teams weren't doing, and it did seem to help when we had lack of quality corners everywhere. So, And it keeps them fresher when it gets into the fourth quarter. Problem was, we had lack of across the board, especially two years ago, and it caused problems. Yes. All right, that's with that booth question. Now to one of my favorites, Dan Henneman. Who's in here? Says Skull, how many tight ends do you think will make the roster? And are they currently on the roster? Do you think they will keep CJ Ham this year and use him similarly to a tight end or just care not carry a fullback? Wondering more of an H-back type individual. How and I inserted that. How would you feel about every team, and in a second question, every team playing a neutral site game after this year, either in Europe or Mexico or South America? Uh, you might add Japan onto that. I think it'd be I, he'd be okay with it. I'll take the second part about the neutral site game. I always said that when they went to 17 games, I thought a neutral site game since they want to promote it overseas, was a good thing, and that they should do that. And if they didn't have the overseas menu, you throw a border battle or something like that in a neutral stadium and have it that way and see how that goes. But I have no problem with that. The NFL wants to grow the business. Obviously, 17 games is part of that. If you do a neutral site, then you have 8-8. Eight and eight. I thought that was a nice zen sort of thing but i'll take advantage of it because this year we got nine home games one neutral site game and seven away so it's to our advantage this year but expect within a decade that the nfl wants to go to 18 games and that throws that out the window oh yeah that's that's where it's going for sure 18 games mm-hmm. um on the tight end stuff dan i, I I feel that the Vikings are going to carry three. It's going to be Irv Smith Jr. It's it's going to be Johnny Munt, and it's going to be uh, the the seventh round pick Nick Nick Muse. I don't think Davidson, unless he takes a huge leap, is uh, he couldn't catch a cold last year in the exhibition games, and uh, so I, unless he's hugely improved, I don't think he's going to be the the third guy that they carry. Probably be a practice squad guy again. Uh, as far as Ham, that's a great question, and I really. I don't know where how he fits on this team. You know, a run, using him as a tight end, obviously he can catch because the Vikings threw lots of screen passes to him last year, much to our uh, to, you know our, much to our chagrin. But uh, um, you know, he'd be as far as running at a tight end. The guy's listed at six feet. He doesn't seem he doesn't have the build that a typical kind of tight end guy has. Usually, those guys are six three and and, and up. Uh, so I don't think he fits on the tight end kind of side of thing we know he can block very well um but on the other hand kevin o'connell specifically mentioned him in a presser and mm-hmm. there's got to be a reason for that uh but what ham's role is is one of those unanswered questions for me and i think for a lot of vikings fans because uh you know really we don't expect the vikings to use a fullback much or if at all uh this year in their base offense or any other package offenses and it's a good question. And we've got two presently on the roster, but it's the 90-man roster, and C.J. Ham would be the one that makes it. Yeah. It's a good question. I I don't know. 
they do like him, so it should be interesting. Uh, too evil, too evil. We should get a massive year out of Irv since it's contract year for him. Yes, I hope we do. And yes. So, and you forgot one tight end, Ellis. <laughs> I always who, forget him. Who's a good blocker. And, and the other, the tight end two is going to be a blocking type. So, yeah. And in the O'Connell system, they want that guy to be a blocker. So, I don't know. We got plenty on the roster that could step up and make it, but I agree with you. We're not going to keep all that many. So, some are going to get cut. Rams basically went with two tight ends last year on game days anyway. And they didn't they didn't play the second one very much either. <laughs> it was so, it was Higby and nobody else a lot of the times. <laughs> the last question we get or that I copied down was another question, Dave. Why do the Vikings play not to lose instead of playing to win? Ever since Bud Grant and until Mike Zimmer, the Vikings have always played not to lose. When they do that, we have the Dallas Cowboys Hail Mary situation. Oh, there's plenty of those crushing it. Um, <laughs> there's there's more than plenty. There's there's tons of it. There's a logic, semi logic behind it on how you run it out the game. You build up a lead, then you run it out, and then you play not to lose. I prefer a more aggressive style. I think Denny Green was the only one that did it out of the whole history of the Vikings, where it was, screw it, we're going to score more points. I want to see that. I hope Kevin O'Connell brings that. What do you think, Darren? Well, I agree with crushing the losers, uh, that sentiment about uh, the Vikings playing not to lose. That was certainly a criticism and uh, with uh, the Mike Zimmer years, and it was even a problem under Leslie Frazier, um, you know, just before that. And I think that, yeah, you, with, with Zimmer, it was pretty clear more just about all the time. We, if we had a, a small lead, even if it was a small lead late in the game, it was run, run, run the ball, try to run out the clock, play it safe. Uh, and, um, you know, depend on the defense to, to bail you out if necessary. I don't like that philosophy either. And I'm hoping with Kevin O'Connell and the offensive minded head coach that, uh, we become more of an attacking team that uh, we try to put teams away late in the game when we have the opportunity instead of trying to run the, the clock out. But, but I want them to be aggressive, but smart, aggressive, David, you, you know, that there are times where it makes the most sense to do what the Vikings often did, which is try to run the clock out, control ball control, uh, maybe not try uh, to throw, you know, deep bombs and deep passes. Um, so, Smart aggressive. Don't be dumb aggressive. Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's times where... It's a philosophy you, of life. Don't yeah. be dumb. It generally hurts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you can be dumb conservative, and but you can also be dumb aggressive. But I think overall, yes, I'm looking forward to seeing what O'Connell, Wes Phillips, the, the whole team culture and how they're going to approach the offensive side of the game late in games in the fourth quarter when we have a lead, uh, but maybe not as large as we would like, like how the, how they're going to, uh, uh, to approach those situations. I think we will see a different philosophy than what we saw under Zimmer. We'll see more of a play to win approach and not a play not to lose approach. I sure hope so. I hope it's, we played a lead by three, you know, scores with 15 minutes left as in 21 points and, all will be good. Yes, too evil to hope. Kirk is naturally risk averse, but we could see if Kevin can break him out of that. Yes, I've mm -hmm. said many times, Kirk Cousins has the physical talents to be absolutely one of the best quarterbacks in the league. It's the mental part of his game that causes problems, and risk averse is one way of putting it. I call it vapor locking in different situations, usually under stressful situations. Hopefully, we can take Kevin O'Connell's brain, overwrite Kirk Cousins' brain, and have Kirk Cousins' body, and all is good, you know, with more aggressiveness in it, not caring about, oh, well, I threw a pick, but I was trying because I know Justin Jefferson 
95% of the time is going to catch that ball for a touchdown. So, Hey, Ryan, how are you? We are just about to get into our second theme and the title. Thanks for all the questions, everybody. Yep. And the title of the show is Garrett Bradbury a bust or is he the answer at center? Evil Evil asked, what's the chance of Reed becoming starting center? We'll get into that, Evil. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to touch on Bradbury because um, the whole center position was a, a topic of discussion amongst Viking fans that I know. Was Bradbury, what were we going to do with Bradbury? And uh, it's it's been a problem area. Bradbury, since we drafted him in 2019, the, the college resume was great. Mm-hmm. Um I, at the time, I thought it was a good pick, but his great his you know just again pointing to pro football focus. You look at his pro football focus grades; they have been pretty bad to terrible consistently. Uh, two thousand nineteen, you, you receive. Yeah, two thousand eight and nineteen, two thousand twenty, two thousand twenty one, mm-hmm. um, and but yet uh, the, the Vikings um, they didn't draft a center. Uh, they didn't sign uh, a center in free agency. It looks very much like they're going to run with Garrett Bradbury as the starting center, um, whether you like it or not. There was some talk about Chris Reed when they the Vikings signed him that he might get a shot at starting center uh, and compete with Bradbury on that. But at least at OTAs, it appears that he and Jesse Davis were competing at at the guard position. So right now it doesn't look like Reed is competing with Bradbury at center. It's Bradbury's job all the way. And it uh, doesn't appear that Wyatt Davis is in the mix down there in the, in the mix as a center. Although again, rumors that he had taken some snaps last year at center mm-hmm. at times. So it's Bradbury all the way. Uh, is We know what he's done the past three years. Is there any chance of improvement there? I am very skeptical about it. We know that, yes, uh, Garrett, you get him out in space on screen passes, that sort of thing. That's what he excels at. What he does not excel at is the, you know, the war at the line of scrimmage. It seems to get overpowered a lot, gets backed up a lot, and uh, gets backed into the quarterback a lot. Uh, gives up a lot of pressures. That is not good. Uh, now, Yes, Ryan, we're going to talk about the J.C. Treader thing here in a second, if I can remember. But uh, now, is this – he's going into his fourth year, David. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there a hope that he can improve? Well, yes. Um, last year with the Rams, Brian Allen, their starting center, was in a similar position. He'd had three years going in, not very – you know, hadn't performed very well in those three years. Last year, took a big leap and leap, and he was – a Got had very strong grades and had a very good year, which he which he turned into a pretty nice little contract. Um, now, perhaps Bradbury can be get a similar situation. We don't have the Rams. Uh, we didn't bring the Rams offensive line coach with us uh, to work on him, like he, he, the guy who worked with Allen last year. But we do have a new offensive line coach, uh, Chris Cooper. Uh, so hopefully, Cooper along with the offensive philosophy that Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips are bringing, that they will bring out the best in Bradbury, and Bradbury will take that leap like Brian Allen did last year. Let's uh, but hope. A, well, that's just the thing, David. Uh, that's uh, you know, I'm talking about maybes and hopes, and I we've, we have that <laughs> saying all the time, hope is not a plan. I <laughs> oh, Drew loves that. Fandom yeah. by hope. It's, but I just, yeah, I just, uh, I am not confident that we're going to see a different, vastly different Garrett Bradbury in 2022 than what we've seen in 2021. Hopefully the guys starting next to him on the left and right side are better, play better, and that helps the Vikings overall and helps Bradbury. But my feeling is Bradbury is not the solution at center, and the Vikings uh, believe that as well because they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. <laughs> and usually when you don't get your fifth-year option picked up, that means your time with the, with the team that drafted you is, is not limited. Team, is limited. Uh, I think the Vikings will be looking for a new center after this year. Uh, but again, it's Bradbury's job to lose. Concerning because uh, at least last year the Vikings – if Bradbury had shit the bed and he did, uh, at least they had Mason Cole as an option. 
right now we only have that so-called kid from Sacred Heart who's the option unless Reed somehow gets moves over or they they do something right now and in OTAs it was all Bradbury um you mentioned the guards hopefully improved guard play improves his play mentioned this is his final year he's playing for a contract hopefully that motivation helps him but as we talked about Ingram having good technique and keeping his leverage points one of the bad things about Bradbury when it comes to pass blocking is his technique is not so good, and he gets turned over on his balance and goes from there. Um, Hopefully, the new offensive line coaches can teach that, right? Or Ingram can say, hey, dude, try this. It might work better, and he will be better at that. He's always been good, like you said, out on screens, pulling. He's good at getting to the second level on run blocking. It's outstanding, actually. Yeah. It's his pass blocking that has sucked absolute balls. Yes. And uh and we need especially with what's going on and we want Kirk Cousins to be more aggressive, throw downfield. Kirk Cousins when he's protected is fantastic. One of the best quarterbacks in the league. And we know he does not use his move to use his lineman at an advantage. So they've got to be even better. So hopefully that will do that. Now, whether he's a bust or not, if he remains at his current level where he can't pass block and he was selected 20th in the 2000, what was it? 19 draft. 2019. Yeah. That's a bust because taking a center that high in the first round, you expect somebody to be, a foundation, somebody that's going to be very good for a very long time, and he hasn't reached that point yet. And going into the fourth year, that's awful long time, even though it takes linemen three to four years to develop. That's usually linemen they're taking a little bit further down the road, not at the 20th selection. So is he a bust? It's looking that way. We'll have to see this year, I hope. There's tons of motivation and good coaching that turns him into actually a functional center. Now, what they do love about Bradbury is uh, he supposedly has the mental portion of the game down pat. When you come to the line, you're diagnosing the defense and you're looking at stuff, and he's calling protections. And this is very much so in the O'Connell offense. Um where the center has more responsibility. They love that he's got it upstairs. If we can match that skill upstairs with sand in the pants, like Tyler always loves to say, and then he becomes a good pass blocker, we've got it made. And yes, uh, GA007, I agree. Even if he improves, he's not worth that, the fifth-year option, which would have been 12-point-something million dollars. But we could then re-sign him afterwards at a cheaper price and get, you know, and progress from there. But the question is, will he take that step? He is not performing to his draft status. And in that aspect, he is a bust. And especially if he doesn't take that step, he is most definitely a bust. And we'll need to replace next year. You'll probably see us take quarterback in the first round and their next pick a center. Uh, but we'll see. And let's quickly address the J.C. Treader question. And uh, Yes. On this is that uh, it's still out there. Well, are the Vikings going to sign J.C. Treader? Uh, well, I'm – I'm saying no because if they if they wanted to sign him, they would have already signed him, I, and nobody else in the league has signed him either. So there's a, it's not because J.C. Treader isn't a great center, but obviously his he's either every team knows that his knees are shot and he can't play, or Treader has told the Vikings and other teams who've been interested that hey, look, my knees aren't ready yet. I'm working on it, but I'm just I'm not at playing level right now. When I am. Come back and call me. So it's right. One and of the, two. once we get closer to July and August is when he may. And there have been some vets that did that. Brett Favre yeah. was famous for it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not coming in until this time. So yeah, I have to. Yeah. 
So when they it, when when they put me on the field in the season opener, that's when I'll show up. <laughs> Basically, um, too evil to hope. Bradbury is nice. If he passes out somewhere, you can easily move him out. Hopefully, we wish no ill on any of the Vikings players because we probably will need them to succeed. That's the way the ball bounces in Minnesota. We shall see. It is that time that we progress forward. As always, I want to thank Lake Monster Beer for some of the best beer in Minnesota, where you go have good times, meet great people, and drink even better beer. Uh, I am, for the first time, trying a fruity beer. Uh, Ted, or Drew, you need to tell Ted I'm trying a mango IPA. Yes, <laughs> I said that right. No, tropical IPA, but it's got mango in it. It's actually not that bad. So I'm surprised. And they also have some cool sours and some other stuff. They have a a milk stout right now. And I'm like, what in the world is milk stout? I'd love to try it. Looks good. Different things for different people. It's that summertime. You get out of the lakes. You go fishing. Need something refreshing. Lake Monster is the way to go. Come off the golf course. You're a little bit parched from that hard 18 holes. Go to Lake Monster. And they always have great food trucks there and plenty of good times to have. So, always, <laughs> let him know. He thinks you're driving. I know he does, Drew. I know he does. But I'm not just drinking beer. I wish Joseph was here today. He'd see it. Mm. I have some Anejo here. When in Texas, drink tequila. That was the same way in New Mexico. Good stuff. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. Now we're going to move on to our next segment, the breakout player. Now that I've had my refreshment. Big big mystery here. Who's Mm -hmm. it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Thank you, Mary. I appreciate that. James Lynch. I, yes, I'm, uh, I think this is, might be one of the last breakout player segments we do, but, uh, um, you know, bringing up Lynch because, okay, um, here's a guy that is in, you know, his, his first two years of the Vikings, his impact has been pretty muted, right? Uh, mm-hmm. last year, uh, the first year he really didn't play much at all. Sec last year, he gradually got more snaps and became part of the defensive line rotation on the interior. But and again, only mm-hmm. one sack. 15 tackles. Uh, you didn't really notice him a lot out there, but you know, I'm bringing it up, bringing him up because he, he's coming into his third year, much like Cameron Dantzler, uh, two years of learning the NFL, how offensive linemen work, how to set them up. Uh, here's a guy at, at Baylor in his senior year at 13 and a half sacks. He had like, <laughs> well, thank you, Joseph. Yeah. So yeah, Joseph is there. Uh, had thirteen and a half sacks. He had uh, eighteen and a half tackles for a loss. Those are both top ten in the college foot, all of college football. Uh, Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that we had coming in coming into the draft in two thousand twenty. Yes, he had some limitations that were brought up, but the, that kind of production I don't think is is like a mirage, like. This guy has got something. Uh, very high motor, works hard all the time, uh, pretty strong. Uh, the, 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 the issue with him was that uh, scouting report was that it felt that he tended to rely too much on his power, that he overpowered a lot of offensive tackles at the Big 12 level who weren't going to be playing in the NFL on Sundays, and that his, his uh, pass rush moves weren't – he didn't have a diverse enough amount of pass rush moves. Perhaps it's all true. But again, I just think 13 and a half sacks, the 18 and a half tackles for a loss. Like James Lynch is a guy who has some talent that just hasn't been unearthed yet. And I think the Vikings going to a 3-4, he was a 3-4-5 technique at Baylor. Right now, we don't know what the Vikings depth chart looks like. Uh, if you look on ESPN, they've got Lynch backing backing up. Uh, at nose tackle. I don't think that's where he's going to be. No. I think uh-uh. He's going to be a five technique. He's going to be uh, one of the ends. 
in the ends rotation. And I think moving to a 3-4, which he had such great success at in Baylor, playing a position that he had such great success at Baylor, that's a real plus for Lynch. And he's going to have an opportunity with, a, I think, a fairly deep Vikings defensive line that he's going to have an opportunity. He's not going to, he's going to be part of the rotation, but uh, he's going to be a spark plug and a guy that I think is going to have an impact with the Vikings this year. I really Where feel do I that. Have I have him backing up Armin Watts at the right defensive end position, 5'10". Yeah. So. So much like I'm thinking, I'm, to me, Lynch is a guy that you got to watch out for. Again, there's never any question about his motor. He works hard all the time. There has been questions about uh, does he take the right angles <laughs> on, on certain things. And again, where uh, he hasn't is, – is his pass rush arsenal, his moves, are they, are they very much – are they diverse enough to set up defensive, uh, offensive linemen and, uh, in the NFL level? Uh, and that's something he, he needed to work on at the NFL level, and he's had two years to do so. Uh, but he's been doing two years to do so at a position, defensive tackle, that he did not play at Baylor. Right, and I think this, in the 3-4, at the 5 technique, he's going to be better. And uh, further in, once you go inside on the defensive line, power does very much play into it. Now, does he learn to the different hand play to get uh, – guards and tackles hands off and different ways to move and juke and, and grab shoulders and stuff and to get in. Hopefully being with the Vikings the last two years, he's picked up on some of that. Andre Patterson, I still believe, is one of the best defensive line coaches ever. He uh, hopefully taught him that and that in this system, which is going to be more natural, he'll take some of the best things he learned then, put it together, and generate into that, you know, yeah, he's going to be the backup player. Like I said, I've got him behind Amon Watts. Um, but to be effective there. The the other thing with um, play, in playing in a 3-4, David, is what we like about it is uh, the ability to disguise uh, better, like more, I think, better, more opportunity to disguise who's going where, cause, create confusion along the offensive line as far as blocking schemes. And uh, I think, again, that Lynch could uh, benefit from that uh, where it's less obvious who's rushing and from where in the new 3-4 that Ed Donatel is going to be running and Mike Pettin's going to be running with the Vikings. And there'll be a lot of stunts involved. I think he will be. I, I, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised as to how that defensive line looks and actually works this season. So, you know, for, for Lynch, a breakout year at the d- defensive end at the five technique, uh, that's probably not going to mean 10 sacks, but it's, it could mean three and a half or four plus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, creating a lot of pressures that uh, causes the quarterback to, to get rid of the ball quicker or in, Sit in or in, at angles and in situations that they don't want to get the to release the ball at. So, uh, and it could be just, equivalent to three hundred snaps over yeah. the season type thing. Mm-hmm. And that that is why I'm highlighting James Lynch as a potential great breakout player, a, a guy who hasn't accomplished a lot at the pro level right now but i think this year is an opportunity in a new defensive scheme one that he's used to one that he thrived in at baylor for him to have that kind of impact that i think we were excited about when the vikings drafted him in the fourth round back in 2020 Uh, at that point i think uh, i kind of felt the vikings got a little bit of a steal there in the fourth because uh it the, the read on him was that he was going to go in the third. So we, not much of a steal, but he did get Bad. drafted perhaps. Yeah, we, he, did, he did get drafted perhaps a little later than was anticipated. So there was value taking him there. I and I think this is. year is the year that uh, he's going to, uh, you know, show us that value. I, I sure hope so. I th- Like I said, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised. Drew, pleasantly surprised, pleasantly surprised. Pleasantly surprised three times. And yes, Drew, it's not like Kittle over the middle. 
that comes from a classic Good Morning Gallahorn post-game show where we played the San Francisco 49ers, and I went off. <laughs> Drew will remember that. But that's it. That's the show for today. Like to know what everybody thinks. We appreciate you coming. The questions you gave were absolutely fantastic. I'm going to be following up, uh, with, particularly with David, on the artwork stuff. And uh, and like I said, if you guys are interested, shoot me a message. and We'll talk turkey on that. It's not cheap. So <laughs> just to let you know. <laughs> but, hey, I appreciate it anyways. Might not be cheap, but it's worth it. Oh, it, it's look outstanding. That, look at that arch. It's, it's uh, gallery quali- quality. Try to say that when you've been drinking for two hours. Gallery quality. <laughs> um, I make sure of that. I use the highest. Um, the printers I go to are the highest quality. They literally print for galleries. Um, so I take pride in my artwork, and I want it to last you multiple generations that's why i do what i do mary says thanks gentlemen hey we can't leave this show without a belated birthday wish to one of the greatest ever mr bud grant who turned 95 yesterday true legend. i was just gonna mention that david greatest coach the minnesota vikings have ever had one of the greatest coaches in nfl history uh, what a great gift it is that he's still around for us and uh, at 95 and still in great shape. So, uh, mm-hmm. Hey, uh, I hope I'm like that at 95. I hope I make oh. 95. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a guy you can teach us all lessons on how to live right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So happy birthday to Bud. What do you say? I need a, what, a good wife, a good hunting dog, and a good quarterback. Not necessarily yep. in that order. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do we say, buddy? We say Skull Vikings, baby. Skull Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, the Daily Norsemen, where the best Vikings content can be found, and to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.